Welcome to Narrative Now, the podcast where we talk about all things narrative. I'm Ash Barnwell. And I'm Sina Raum. And we are both sociologists at the University of Melbourne with a keen interest in narrative. In this podcast series, we explore new ideas and key issues across narrative research and the many crafts of storytelling. We want to acknowledge that this podcast was produced on Wurundjeri land, where we both live and work, and we pay our respect to elders past and present. Our topic today takes us to the field of creative writing as we hear about how stories can be a way to heal trauma. Our guest is Edwina Shaw. She's a writer of fiction, memoir and screenplays, and also teaches creative writing in schools, libraries and in the community, and also at the University of Queensland. As you've actually met Edwina a couple of years back. Yes, I met Edwina when I was doing some research with Kate O'Neill and Kirsten Wright from the Find and Connect web resource. They offer access to archives for forgotten Australians or people who grew up in state and foster care. And we visited a creative writing program for forgotten Australians run at Lotus Place in Brisbane, where Edwina was the teacher. Ah. And am I right that I seem to remember that you also took part in one of these writing sessions yourself? Yes, <laughs> this is right. It was a very humbling experience. Uh, we as the three researchers uh, joined in for creative writing class and Edwina gives all of the participants these prompts and you have to write the story and then read it out in front of everybody <laughs> on the spot. So that's an interesting experience. But one of the really striking things about the classes was that they didn't focus on getting people to tell their life stories or write a conventional memoir, but Mm. more so to do imaginative and creative writing that could open up these new ways for working through the past. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to talk to Edwina here on the podcast to hear more about how she sees stories as having this healing potential and particularly creative or imaginative stories. Yeah, that's such a good idea. And I think very fitting for our podcast here. And so just before we get into it, just a little note of caution for our listeners. There are parts of this conversation that reference traumatic life events and they could be confronting or triggering. And so if you feel upset by this episode, we have included some links on our website, places that you can reach out to. Now let's hear from Edwina. So thank you, Edwina for joining us on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about how you first came to be teaching creative writing? So I'm a teacher by trade. I'm an old special needs teacher. So I've taught in special schools, you know, the traditional old special schools where we had kids of multiple different types of abilities. But mostly I've found myself working with people who were traumatised. So my first permanent teaching job was in a juvenile justice centre in Sydney, Minda Juvenile Justice Centre, which was a maximum security and remand, teaching maths. That's when I realised now I first started working with people with trauma and then I went to Cambodia uh, and taught English there. And, of course, all of those people were survivors of the Pol Pot regime. And it was really when I was in Cambodia where I first realised the power story had because as soon as people had the words, the first thing they wanted to tell me about was their stories of surviving the Pol Pot regime or of the traumatic things that happened to them during that time. I mean, I had a short story competition and 99% of them were stories of surviving. 
So I've come from that background and then I'm a writer. I've got a master's degree in creative writing. I run my own retreats and I teach in the community and at the University of Queensland in the creative writing department and also at Lotus Place where I teach forgotten Australians who were people who were in institutions or suffered abuse in out-of-home care as well. My first book, Thrill Seekers, was based on my own adolescent trauma. My brother developed schizophrenia very young, about 14, 15, and killed himself at 20. So it was in the writing of Thrill Seekers that I first really learnt on a very personal and deep level about the healing power of story and the way that you can heal the stories of your past by reframing them and using those um, powers of fiction. So, Edwina, what actually is trauma? How would you define it? Well, this is just my own personal definition. I think it's anything that happens to us that causes us ongoing pain. For instance, uh, an elderly person, even if it's our mother who dies in their late 80s or 90s, who's lived a wonderful full life and we are fully grown and our mother's passing is sad, yes, and we will grieve and it will be painful, but it will pass. However, if our mother died when we were seven years old and we cannot recover from that loss and that loss and that pain and the scenes from our memory are inhabiting our lives in the present and shaping who we are in the present, then that is trauma. So it kind of lingers. Yeah. It's pain that won't leave you, I suppose, in its simplest form. Pain that doesn't leave. Pain from the past that doesn't leave. They're bad things that happen to us that we can't forget. Mm. I was also curious, Edwina, when you're working with groups, because you were saying a part of where you started was um, a special needs teacher and I know the, the work you do with at Lotus Place is a creative writing group where people read out and share the creative writing they do in the moment. I wondered if, like, how do you kind of address the fact that there might be people in the group that are at different levels of readiness to deal with trauma and to to kind of work with that? Well, that's why, uh, you know, picking story prompts is tricky mm. <laughs> because different people have different triggers for their trauma and, as you say, some people are at different stages of readiness. So the most important thing when working with, I would suppose, any group of creative writers because you never know who in that group uh, has been traumatised. In any creative activity, everything is optional. So I often will give people optional activities. So I will say, I thought we might do this, and then I'll look around. This was very hard during COVID when it was all on the phone. (laughs) But um, So looking around and getting a gauge for are people feeling comfortable with that idea? Um, you have to have a lot of alternatives up your sleeve and you gauge because you you don't want to push people into, you know, reliving traumatic experiences when they're not ready and you don't want people to be forced into anything. In a discussion around this why we don't want to do this, another idea might come up and you just go with that because everybody in that group has the same amount of power, I suppose. That's what you want to give them. 
is that power over the stories that they choose to tell. Trauma seems to be quite central, you know, both to your professional and also um, parts of your private life. And I'm curious about what is the problem with these kinds of trauma-saturated stories that we might sometimes hear from people? And what role do you think that creative writing has or can play in sort of working through different kinds of trauma? Creative expression is really, really important for every human being, I think. Expressing ourselves and our stories releases those good hormones in our brain which help us feel better and help us to heal the same way tears do. So I think it's about, yeah, not just dwelling in those dark stories that we can tell ourselves over and over and over again. There's Mm. great power in getting the stories out of our heads and onto the page, not just by doing it once is a great thing, but it's actually the process of creating a polished work or a work of beauty. I think it creates distance. And also by creating a work of beauty or a work of art, you have to think about other things than just telling my whole sad story. So, for example, when I was first trying to get Thrill Seekers published, I got to speak to one of the big publishers, Penguin, who was interested. (laughs) And they said, oh, it's too dark. Mm. I said, well, you know, it was a really dark time. They said, no, no, no one will want to read it. So people don't want to read stories that are stuck all in the trauma. And it taught Mm. me about finding the good bits, finding the light in with all of that darkness. And it's possible even for people who have been through, like the Forgotten Australians, unimaginable to those of us who were lucky enough to be born into loving homes, unimaginable horror and abuse, Even in there, there are tiny little moments of joy that can be remembered. Our brains are hardwired to protect us, to remember the traumatic bit. So we remember, you know, don't go into that cave. That's where the mammoth lives. I remember, you know, Uncle Joe got killed by the mammoth. But it's really helpful to remember also that Uncle Joe taught us a lot of things um, before that as well. So for some people, there is a before that you can focus on and remembering the happy times before the bad. Um, For others, you really have to work a little harder uh, to find the good within the bad. But also I Mm. learnt through Thrill Seekers, because the ending wasn't happy, uh, by changing the ending, by using the power of fiction, you can reimagine the story for yourself. So in Thrill Seekers, my brother got to live. In reality, he killed himself Mm -hmm. when he was 20. But because the imagination registers emotionally in the same way as our lived experience, now when I think about my brother, I have stories that I'm not sure whether whether they are the made-up bits or the real bits, but definitely my whole feeling around the thing is I have this alternative ending. And by creating that, I've changed the way I feel about it. So everybody can use this technique um, by just imagining a different ending or a different scenario and feeling the feelings of that different scenario. Mm. You said it's not just about, you know, writing it once and then it's sort of like, you know, kind of getting it out there on paper, but it's also 
this process of working with that text, sort of going over it and polishing it and finding the beauty in it or finding the beauty in little parts of it yeah. maybe. But this is a sort of a, a process where you go back and you work with that text, yes, is that right? Yes, yes. So it's the process of writing. So as every writer knows, the first draft is just, you know, one-fiftieth mm. of the process. <laughs> the rest is the writing and the rewriting, the reshaping, the polishing, the adding and the taking away. Um, so for people writing their trauma stories, yes, there is great value in just that very raw version. It, it takes a while to get to that raw version. A lot of people start mm. by writing it as a myth or a fairy tale, distanced mm. from themselves. But mm. there, you, you do yeah. need to go back there and relive it and write it in scenes so that that way all the pain comes out. And then you need to go through and reshape it. And it's the writing, rewriting. And by the time that you've done, you know, a multitude of drafts of this story, you have cried about it several thousand times <laughs> and released it. But you've also sort of distanced yourself from it. It becomes this other mm. thing. It's not just your memories anymore. It is this other separate creation that something good has sprung from all the, the, the shit, mm -hmm. as my, my saying yeah, yeah. is, you know, shit happens, turn it into fertiliser yeah. and grow yourself a beautiful garden. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you think, Edwina, that like that process of collective storytelling is important? Like I was just thinking before about how you're saying that everyone in the group has the same amount of power. Like, do you yeah. think that that actual act of telling stories and making them up together is just as important as kind of that beautiful finished product we were talking about before? Yeah. Well, that's the difference for me between writing for healing and writing for art. When you're writing for art, mainly it's a solitary process and getting feedback from other writers is very valuable and, of course, having your work read. But if you are specifically writing as a tool for healing, then that sitting around in a group and having your chance to tell your stories but also listening to everybody else's story is really, I think, the most important part of it and a very valuable part of it, especially when any time actually because I run retreats for women where I am um, we do all sorts of writing, but of, of usually there are at least a few people who are writing about pain from their past. Uh, so that that sharing of, of stories, that listening and the support that comes from others as well, just having your story heard, having everybody looking at you, registering that story and really feeling heard is an important part. That's why, yes, when Ash came to visit... Everybody who comes into that room, if you want to sit in this room with us, you have to write and you have to tell us a story. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to write, as Ash knows, we were we scribe for people as well. So you don't need this to be a writing activity. It can just be storytelling. It's hard. <laughs> That's what I remember about it. It's pretty tricky and you feel pretty vulnerable. Oh, well, I can tell my, my students that they'll be really happy because they're <laughs> clever. <laughs> Edwina, I wanted to ask, um, you know, you've spoken about the role of imagination and also memory. And I guess there are two different ways that we can base stories or that we can create stories. And I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about the difference that can come from writing about experience through memoir as a genre 
versus writing about experience through fiction. You kind of did both in a way with Thrill Seekers, but maybe if you can unpack that a bit. Yeah, and I, I continue to do both. Most of my work is what I call autobiographical fiction. Some people are calling it ficto-memoir at the moment. I think, why? Why call it something different when, when, you know, for hundreds of years it's been autobiographical fiction? Anyway, but, yes, so memoir and especially modern memoir, the way we write memoir these days where we are using the techniques of fiction, where we are creating scenes, we want narrative drive, we have all of those same um, craft constraints and demands that is is very valuable except you don't have the power of fiction to change the endings I like autobiographical fiction myself because it gives me that power to reimagine it to change things um, to bring more light in and you know it's a safe place to get revenge <laughs> <laughs> So you've worked with specific groups using these these methods of creative writing as a practice. And I'm just wondering, sort of, is there a risk of glossing over, I guess, past injustices through, you know, reimagining a nicer ending? Well, you can't just go straight to the reimagining. You need to also mm-hmm. have the truth. Mm-hmm. And most of the forgotten Australians I've worked with have already done their redress, which has been the telling of their story in full gory detail. Um, it's just yeah. we don't want to keep repeating it. Yes, we mm-hmm. want to have our true story told in all the gory detail, but we don't want to keep repeating it to ourselves because by repeating anything, what are we doing? We're ingraining it. And then you're ingraining mm. all the feelings that go with it. Whereas these people are now older, they've, you know, they've lived long, they're still alive. They're extremely successful and resilient and wise people. Yes, tell your stories, what's all, but mm. then. Just feel free. You can play around with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about not ingraining those horrible feelings and the, you know, giant burdens that we carry around, but freeing ourselves from those burdens. Mm, it reminds me a little bit about, I guess, some of the conversations around storytelling as re-traumatising. Yeah. Well, that's where we don't want to keep repeating it and repeating it. If I was going mm. in with traumatised people and saying, well, tell me the real, let's do that story again. Tell me exactly how many times he raped you. Um, No, that's not going to work. That's not going to make anyone feel better. Instead, we go looking for the good bits or we just write something, you know, a fun story that's not related to any of our backgrounds. We do a lot of that too. Um, Just the fun of creativity because being creative is playing. Apart from expressing ourselves, it's also a joyful form of play. I think that that's interesting, that aspect too, is that like that creates space for people who might actually not want to tell their story at all. You know, like because there's this question around people maybe wanting to tell their story in this genre or that genre, but there may be people who actually they want to do other things, you know, they want to, you know, that there's other parts of of who they are and their identity that they'd like to come forward with that. And, um, yeah, I think that that's interesting that doing 
imaginative work allows people to really have that choice. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to stay telling the same sad old story. I mean, I think if you are just pushing it down like my mother's generation and whatever you do, don't look back, just bury it and move on, that's that's going to end up coming out in your body somehow. Um, so, yeah, be a little bit brave and at least tell your friends. Um, but, yeah, you certainly don't need to write it all down. Some people are just, they just yearn to do that. Um, but, yes, there's so much fun just in making up a story. Like we did one the other night on the stroke of midnight and got all sorts of wild and wonderful stories, made-up stories, or you find a character. If people have stories that they need to tell, then they will come out no matter what prompt you give them. So I do an exercise at my retreat, you know, what stories do I want to tell? What stories do I need to tell? And what stories am I scared to tell? They're the three three different types. And for me with Thrill Seekers, they, they were the stories I really needed to tell. I couldn't stand having them in my brain anymore. And, yeah, if people are like that, then tell them, tell them, tell them, get them out. So you mentioned before, um, you know, you spoke about the different sort of bodily repertoires that we can try and access and that telling these stories may access And I know that you um, sometimes bring, you know, different forms of both yoga but also meditation into your teaching and, and writing and in the way you teach creative writing as well. So what is it that, you know, that these kinds of embodied or somatic practices can, can do? How can they engage feelings that maybe we don't sort of automatically reach through, you know, verbal storytelling? Well, I learned this through... Through yoga, I've been practicing yoga since 1990 and daily since 1993. And I just started because I wanted to look like old McPherson, who I don't look like at all, but still now. But, <laughs> but um, what I learned was that by moving my body, a lot of stories were coming up out of me, all of those stories that I'd tried to bury and just, oh, I don't want to do that, I'll just, you know, I'll just focus on happy things, blah, blah. The stories are held in our bodies, our stories, and not just our stories, but the stories of the generations before us of their unresolved emotions are also stored in our bodies. So by getting into our bodies, it's also a great way of slowing the mind is by focusing on the body and the senses so that you have that clear space to create. But it's Yeah, the stories are held in our body so that through yoga all the different stories were coming out and that's why I do it and the, the guided meditation. I think apart from getting each individual into their own creative zone where that busy mind and that inner critic is quietened, that's what I do in the meditation a lot, but it's also about connecting the group When you meditate together as a group, even if it's only for a few minutes, that group becomes a safe place. And as a special needs teacher working with very sensitive and people with a lot of triggers, having that safe space is something that you want to establish very quickly and doing a meditation helps do that and helps get people into their creative zone where you can just, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the best story ever written. It's just you having fun playing writing. 
One of the other things I was wondering, Edwina, is like, have you had situations where there's been someone that's actually found it really hard to do that? Oh, yeah, gosh. You know, we have a number of different, very strong personalities. And yes, sometimes people would just get up and leave. So you need to be able to go out and talk to them because they haven't spoken up or maybe this was earlier on too and I didn't check every activity before I went into it, Mm. unless I really know it's a totally safe one. So I've had people upset and leave the room. I've had people upset. So, But in that group, because we've created such a safe and supportive environment by sharing our stories, it just meant that we could all support her. Mm. But, yeah, well, of course, we've had other people who have come in and especially if they're new to the group. So, yes, you have to be very on the alert and watching for if somebody is being triggered or can. how can I change this? How can I get us all back on track? Yeah, because I guess like what you're saying about those triggers, right, and not necessarily knowing it because I don't know how much you know in each workshop about the participants, but there could be, you know, the different kinds of acknowledged trauma or, you know, the acknowledged history that people come with and that, you know, beforehand, but then there might be the things that somebody hasn't actually thought about, that this is yeah. um, something that's buried somewhere, unacknowledged. And that's where it feels like this could be a quite tricky situation. If I said, write a story about your first kiss, that's extremely triggering for yeah. people whose first encounter was was abusive. Yeah. So, yes, you, you have to be very, very careful. And um, I should really do a whole list of prompts for, <laughs> for trauma. Mm. But it sounds like something that's so important coming through in what you're saying is that there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that there's support in place and that these things are trauma-informed when these storytelling projects take place. Yes, yeah, and and that's the thing, and I've learnt so much by, I suppose, my own life experiences, getting to know all these different groups with trauma experiences, but I just go on feeling. I'm a very intuitive teacher and... I just go with what's the feeling, what's going on with everybody and how can we make this safe for everybody. As I was saying earlier, I think that meditation at the beginning really helps and the group that we've got now, they know each other. That also helps. If you were starting cold um, with a whole group of people who didn't know each other or who didn't know each other's experiences, you might have to work a little harder. It's always just being aware of the feeling of the room and the looking for, is everybody okay with this? Thank you so much. So wonderful to talk to you today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for being interested. And that's it for this episode of Narrative Now. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Ash Barnwell. And I'm Sing Rang. And this episode was produced by Gavin Niebauer with music by Kenna McTavish. If you liked this episode, you can make sure you don't miss the next one by subscribing to this podcast wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for listening. 